We'll invite you to turn in a copy of God's Word to um, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 15. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 345. We're coming to the point soon where we're going, we're going to be um, skipping over a few things in Joshua. It's not that we don't believe those bits aren't the Word of God, but there are a lot of lists there in the middle of Joshua. And so uh, we're going to be um, going chapter by chapter for a few more weeks, but then we'll be um, skimming a little bit in the middle and then heading to the end uh, as we continue our series on this fantastic book. Um, So hear now the word of the Lord from Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. As soon as Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoam, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to uh, Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with all the people of Israel. Then the five kings, the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all the night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fed, fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones and the sons uh, of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. The sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord obeyed the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua turned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. And we're thankful for the unity of your word, that it all points to Jesus. So Lord, give us eyes to see this morning and ears to hear. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
You know, though, all, though we often forget it, prayer works. Simple this morning. Though we often forget it, prayer works. I'm sure that you'll agree with me that um, the Christian life is one in which sometimes we're more faithful in prayer than others. We go through these seasons where we draw near to, the, near to God in a very real and tangible way in, in which we are very fervent in our prayer lives. And oftentimes the very things that have driven us to the Lord, they are resolved most of the time by result of prayer. And then we slide into a season of, okay, we're, we're doing all right now. And I don't need to pray as much. But if we think back on those times when we are fervent in prayer, and we're faithful in prayer, and we're persistent in prayer, if we think about it, we can see how the Lord answers prayers in amazing ways. See, though we often forget it, prayer works. Um, I remember last year, it was right before General Assembly, so it had been June of last year. I don't remember why, but I was especially fervent in prayers that week, probably the grace of God. Uh, Very fervent in my prayers that week. And do you know, on Saturday morning, I woke up early and I started to think about all the prayers that the Lord had answered that week. And I was able to write down 24 specific answers to prayer that week. Not general ones but specific answers. I can't share all of them, obviously. There are many private ones, both in my life and, and in yours. As a pastor, I get to pray with, with you for, for many things. But they went all the way from healing a cut on Chrissy's hand, which had gotten kind of nasty, to um, someone telling me he had become a Christian that week, to several sticky conversations going, well, the Lord answered 24 specific answers to prayer that I could remember. But you know, uh, three, four weeks later, was I as persistent in my prayers? There's that tension, isn't there? See, we forget what an amazing gift prayer really is. And I feel like sometimes the Lord gives us vignettes. He gives us very concentrated seasons of life to show us once again just how much he loves to hear from us and how amazing tool uh, praying is and how ultimately it connects us to the very throne room of God. Certainly the 24 answers to prayer that week have, have been a reminder to me. They stay on my computer and when I, when I um, wonder if prayer works, I pull that list up. Certainly he gives us those reminders, but we have a reminder in this text. This text today that prayer is an amazing thing. Because nothing less than the earth stopping its rotation happened for the good of God's people. All of a sudden, because one man prayed, the Lord stopped the rotation of this world and we didn't go flying off. And magma didn't start shooting out volcanoes. And the gravitational pull that that our earth has on other things like the moon, the moon stuck with us. All because Joshua prayed. Do we really think that prayer is that powerful? If we're honest, no. But God gives us reminders. There are a lot of reasons why 
many texts are in Scripture. There are a lot of reasons, I think, why this text is in Scripture. But one of them is because prayer works, and we need to be reminded. Our text finds us after the Lord has granted victory over the cities of Jericho and Ai. The covenant has been renewed, and and last week, or I guess two weeks ago, rather, we saw the Gibeonites had tricked Israel into entering into a covenant uh, with them, or a treaty. Our chapter opens this morning with another set of kings, Adoni Zedek, or Adonai Zedek, or, um, well, there are a lot of ways you pronounce it, but it it ironically means the Lord of Righteousness, (laughs) The Lord of Righteousness, the self-styled Lord of Righteousness from Joshua chapter 10 verse 1 of Jerusalem has um, rallied four other Amorite kings and they are seeking to do battle against the Gibeonites. Now there are a couple reasons why this text tells us that they have decided to do this. He fears, he fears greatly the text tells us and it's because of two reasons. The first is that he had heard what the Lord had done for Israel in granting them victory over Jericho and Ai And then one very specific phrase, and to their kings. He was the king and he was a bit nervous. The second was that um, the the position that the Gibeonites had put the rest of the Amorites in because there suddenly was an enclave, a very strong enclave of, of three or four cities led by Gibeon deep within Amorite territory. The Amorites were a regional power and there were different kings in the Amorite people group. And now the Gibeonites had allied themselves with the Israelites. And Gibeon was a great city. It was like a royal city, the text says. In fact, the, the word that is translated warriors here is not the normal word for warriors. It is special forces kind of level of warriors. This was a city full of army rangers. And all of a sudden, there was this group of cities led by Gideon deep within their territory, and their position had been greatly weakened. And so Adonai, Adoni, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, gathers these other kings, and they they go together and they laid siege on Gibeon and the other cities. So what do do the Gibeonites do? Well, they've just made this covenant, this treaty, this mutual defense treaty, just like NATO is with Israel and, uh, and so what do they do? They cry out, hurry, save us. Do not slacken your hand from your servants. Come, help us. Now we have a gut check moment for Joshua and for the Israelites because remember, the Gibeonites had, had fooled Israel into signing a treaty with them. Had fooled them into cutting a covenant with them. And so Joshua here, we might expect, would say, oof. Are we really going to honor the terms of this covenant? But nowhere in Scripture does it record any kind of hesitation. Much to the glory of God and to the, and to, um, the good reputation of Joshua, they very quickly head out and head towards Gibeon. Now we find uh, two different accounts of this text, two different accounts of this, this battle. Um, they're told in two different perspectives. But from there, we see that Joshua headed out, and along the way, God appeared to Joshua and said in verse 8, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Now, this was good to hear. This is the first time we've heard God speak since this debacle of this covenant that they have been fooled into making with Gibeon. And so, it appears that God approves. But what's difficult for us to see, because we don't know the geography here, is that from Gilgal to Gibeon is 18 to 20 miles 
all uphill. And they go through the night in order to get there just in time. I, I talked with uh, Chris Gill, one of our missionaries, uh, and Chris, his brother-in-law, who was a Marine. And, and he's one of those Marines who did crazy things overseas, that, you know, some of which he can talk about. And so I asked him, okay, is this realistic? I mean, I believe it's in the Word of God, so, I mean, hear me say that. But talking about how difficult this would be. He said a, a mountain terrain packed laden marine or rangers can do 25 miles in a single day on what's referred as a forced march. These are some mighty fine warriors to go uphill 18 to 20 miles marching all the way through the night and they arrived just at sunlight. And Amorites didn't anticipate that one. But the Israelites had two things going for them that were really important. The first is that God was fighting for them. This was going to be important because they were going to fight them at Gibeon and then pursue them another uh, 20 miles. These two words, these two names that we don't recognize, Azekah and Makedah, these are 20 miles away. So they are going to pursue them. They've marched all the way through the night. They've gone 18 and 20 miles. Now they've got to go another 20 miles pursuing these folks, kill them as they go. But they've got two things going for them. The first is that God is fighting for them. Verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because the hailstones and the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Did you catch what just happened? So the Israelites were following these folks, trying to kill them, and then all of a sudden from the sky has come large, large supernatural hailstones that don't hit the Israelites and only hit their enemy. And more killed by the Lord's hailstones than by the swords of the soldiers of Israel. But the second thing is that towards the beginning of the day, and we know it was the beginning of the day because of where the sun and the moon were, beginning of the day, Joshua prays for something amazing. He prays for the sun to stand still and the moon to stand still. Stand still sun over Gibeon, moon over the valley of Ajalon. And it says the sun stopped. Now since we know about the Copernican system, we know how things work. The sun didn't stop, the earth did. Or maybe the sun did stop. Whatever happened, it was a a miracle of great... um, of great magnitude. The Lord would stop creation in its tracks for the good of his people. Do we really believe that prayer works? Not like this. You know, from this text, we can draw several conclusions about prayer. The first is we ought to pray in response to God's promises. Let me ask you this. What came first, Joshua's prayer or God's promises? This is really important. What came first, Joshua's prayer or God's promises? God's promises did. The prayer we find in 12 or 13, the promises we find back in verse eight. Don't fear, don't fear. Do not fear them. I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them will stand before you. This goes back to Joshua 1, where we have every one of these promises already given to to Joshua and to the Israelites. The only way that we can pray is because God has already given us the promises that he will hear us and he will act for us. We are not the ones who are initiating this thing. The Lord is. When we pray, um, 
We're really only appropriating for ourselves the things that God has already said he would do for us. When we pray for peace in the midst of storms, it is because God has promised to give us his peace. When we pray for freedom from fear, we do so because God has promised to fight for us. When we pray for provision and money, we do so because God has promised to provide for his people. When we pray for our children, we do so because God has made promises not only to us, but to our children. When we pray for people to come to know the Lord, we do so because God says he wishes none to perish. We pray because God has made amazing promises to us. And we appropriate those promises as we come to him. It's like a child coming to his mother or grandmother and saying, can I have something to eat? Why is the mother or the grandmother going to give something to eat? Because of their relationship and because the promises have been made. Implicit in that relationship. God gives us this and more, more than we could ever ask or imagine because he makes great promises to his people. We're called to pray because God hears our prayers. Look at verse 14. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded or obeyed the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Think about what just happened that day. There's never been a day like it before or afterwards. It was a unique day. And is it because the earth or the sun and the moon stood still? No. That's not what the text says. It's because the Lord heeded or obeyed the voice of a man. The NIV translates it, I think, improperly with listens. It is more than listen. The word here is a very significant one in, in, in Hebrew, and it means to hear and to act. And for some reason, for, by God's grace, for his own glory, for the good of his people, he heard the commands of Joshua and he acted. Now, commentators have spilled a lot of ink on what that means. And I don't know that I have a lot of good answers, but what we can learn from it is the fact that God hears our prayers. You know, I think sometimes we pray as if no one's listening. Have you ever, have you ever prayed those kind of prayers? Have you ever prayed like no one was listening? As a minister, I'm asked to pray all the time. And let me tell you something, it's hard not to just go into minister mode and start saying the right words. I happen to know the right words. I went to school for a long time to know the right words. But it is hard not to just say, just start going into the right word kind of prayers. And halfway through you realize, I'm not talking to God. God is not honored by those prayers. Those are ungodly prayers. When you, when you sit down at lunch today, what are you gonna say over the table? We talked about Wednesday. Thank you for this and all that many blessings. Christ's sake, amen. That's what my grandfather used to say. And then if it was a big event, it was thank you for this and all that many blessings. Christ's sake, amen. You know, and then one time it was thank you for this and all the many blessings. Uh, yours sincerely, yours truly, Edwin, all, Edwin H. Allback Jr. You know, that's the only prayer he knew. Do we do the same thing? Do we pray as if no one's listening? Or do we pray as if the God of the universe who sent his son to die for you, to bleed out for you on the cross, it was so amazing that the sun did not shine for three hours and the dead were raised to life. This God loves you so much and now we offer prayers that we don't even know what we've said at the end of them. Do we pray like God is listening? Because he hears. He hears. We're called to pray boldly. If there's anything about Joshua's prayers, it's bold. <laughs> I wouldn't even have thought about this one. 
It appears from the text that he commands the sun and the moon to stand still, and then, the God, and then God honors the command that he gave to the sun and the moon. That's not even in my realm of thought. But we're called to pray boldly. But notice, he prays out loud. He prays before all of Israel, according to verse 12. All of Israel heard his prayer. Now that's praying and believing it's gonna happen. Sometimes we pray those really powerful prayers silently, so if they don't come true, then, you know, God's reputation is saved? I mean, what are we, what are we doing there? But, but what does Joshua do? He says, he prays in front of everybody. He commands in front of everybody, all of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon, moon at the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon did too, until Israel had vengeance over its enemies. Pray big prayers. You know, we pray for big prayers, don't we? But perhaps we don't realize it. We pray for miraculous healing for a spouse against the sin in our lives, against someone, uh, for someone to know the Lord, for revival, for reconciliation, an impossible relationship, for elections, for abortion to end, for God's kingdom to come, for Christ to come back. These are big prayers. These are big prayers. Why? Because we have no power to do them. Joshua had no power over the sun and the moon. Only God did. Are we praying boldly? Are we praying big prayers? And finally, are we praying specifically? Because Joshua prayed specifically. He was bold in his specificity. Uh, He was very, very bold, and he was very specific about what he desired to happen. Now, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. I've been praying for several situations, and they start with, Lord, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit takes those prayers, he cleans them up, and he presents them to God with, with, with uh, grow, um, well, I can't remember the quote. Uh, but he, he presents them to the Lord. He cleans them up for us. We are called to pray specifically and boldly. But finally, we pray in the name of Jesus. This is the only way we have access to the throne of God. When I say we pray in the name of Jesus, I don't mean that we have to say in Jesus' name at the end of every, every prayer. Now, in a day and age where we're encouraged not to pray in Jesus' name, I think it's wise to always say in the name of Jesus at the end of a, a prayer. If it's really up for grabs, I like to throw in the whole trinity just so everybody knows where I stand. If, you, if you're praying with Mormons, just go for, go for gold, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they don't believe that stuff. Um, but pray in the name of Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying on the basis of what he's done for us, what he's done for us on the cross, and the fact that he has, taken, he has taken a sacrifice into heaven and even now he intercedes for us. But all this is possible. We can pray, we can pray, we can pray only because there was a second Joshua. See, all the heroes of the Old Testament, they're not meant to point us to themselves. They're meant to point us to the one hero, to Jesus. And this Joshua points us to another Joshua. His name was Jehoshua, that was his Hebrew name, Jesus. And do you know that hailstones, they didn't come down on that day. God's wrath was not poured out on his enemies. It was poured out on his Joshua, our Savior, the Son of Man, so that his enemies might not be destroyed, but might be made his children. That's what the gospel is. We can pray because our Savior, he died. And the sun, while it stood still back in Joshua 10, it did something else that day. It refused to shine from uh, the sixth hour to the ninth hour, from 12 to 3. And just as all creation was upset in Joshua 10 at the prayer of a man, 
our father refused the prayer of his son to take away that cup from him. And as a result, all of creation was upset and the dead walked on this earth and the veil was torn in two because our savior, the second Joshua, the better Joshua, the son of man, he was crucified for us. Now friends, we can pray, we can pray because our savior has died for us. We can pray not because we have forced God into a covenant with us like the Gibeonites forced the Israelites because he willingly died for us that we might have life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in our prayers. We thank you even now as we lend our souls together. We thank you for the, the, the death and resurrection of our Savior for it is only here that we have hope. There's nothing else in life that gives us hope. And it's because of what he's done for us and made us your children that we can come before you and ask for bold and specific things. And Lord, this morning we boldly ask for two things as we close our service. We pray boldly and specifically for our sister Judy, who's even now going to be under the knife for a kidney transplant. But two, Father, we pray specifically and boldly that Jesus would come back today. Lord, we pray that these pilgrim days be brought to an end when the faith is made into sight. These clouds roll back like a scroll. Oh Lord, may we hear that trump soon as you make all things new. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.